0: really a recap of what we heard some months back, and last week we talked about how to walk with God. We discussed those three habits. The first habit, of course, is a daily walk with God, and that's why we developed a simple devotional coaching tool that you can sign up for. If you, uh, you want to give us your email address, we'll send you for the next 40 days a simple devotional plan that you can follow. And we're all going to do it together. So, uh, again, uh, it starts tomorrow. And so you can sign up in the atrium for that. And, of course, the, the second habit is a weekly going to church. And, and then thirdly, of course, is this moment-by-moment holiness. And what we mean by that is, is this, is every day you're faced with decisions, and you can either make a decision to do what Jesus wants you to do, or you can do what you want to do. But the thing is this, is that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and you understand that to be a follower of Christ means you do what Jesus wants you to do. And so that's what we mean by moment-by-moment holiness. So today we're talking about how to walk with each other. And you've heard me say this many times, that life is all about relationships. And the most important relationships, of course our relationship with God, and then all the people in our lives. We want to do everything that we can to make sure that we live uh, in love and live in harmony with the people in our life. If you look at the ethic of the New Testament, the number one ethic is unity, it's love. The mark of the believer is, is love. That's who we are. That's what it means to be a Christ follower. And so what we want to do today is we want to talk about the habits necessary to live this life that pleases Jesus. Now, I'm going to just say this to everybody today. Every one of us is a creature of habit. Some of you may not think you are. Some of you may actually pride yourself in being uh, you know, quite impulsive and, and liberated and, and untethered. And, and free to do as you please. But the fact of the matter is, is if we actually stop to look at your life, we would discover that you actually have some very clear habits. And in fact, uh, what you think is maybe, uh, maybe you think it's not a habit, your impulsiveness could actually be one of your many habits. So we wanna talk about the habits that are necessary for us to live this life that's pleasing to God. Uh, MIT researchers, that's the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, the researchers there discovered that there's a simple neurological loop at the core of every habit that we have. And what they would say is that it, this loop consists of three parts. There's a cue, the thing, that, the, the thing that that makes you move towards or take that first step in the habit. Uh, then there's the, uh, the routine of what you would do once you decide to make that, that, uh, that move towards that habit. And then there's a reward reward that goes with it. So, for instance, let me give you an example. Uh, You're sitting down to watch a TV, uh, a movie on TV. The cue is sitting down to watch the movie. The routine is, well, whenever I watch a movie, I always have popcorn and diet Coke. (laughs) Just, you know, just to even it out. Diet Coke and... uh, And then the reward, of course, is you get to watch a movie and you get to taste that delicious food that has absolutely no value. And it becomes a habit. And this is the way we form habits. Now, I want to say this to you. Uh, We we recognize that this is the way God created us. This is who we are. This is what we are. The thing that you and I need to do as followers of Jesus Christ is develop some new neurological loops. Or, if you want to put it uh, more simply, we need to develop some new habits. Some habits that are in in keeping with, or in line with, in step with, with Jesus Christ. If you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, Peter tells us that he has shown us, uh, he set for us an example, that we should follow in his steps. This is what it means to be a follower of Christ. You actually follow his example, you do what Jesus did. Now, uh, the, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, before he left this earth, he, he said this. He said, go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and I'll be with you for the rest of your life. Jesus is actually instructing his disciples to teach all new believers a brand new set of habits, a brand new way of living. The Apostle Paul, in Romans chapter 12, the first few verses He says, be transformed, did you hear that? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What's he saying? He's saying you need to establish some new habits in your life so that you will change, so that you'll become the person that God wants you to become. Now, here's the sad thing that I've observed in my 30-some years of ministry. I've discovered that there are many people who've gone to church all their life, they know all the hymns. They don't even need to, they don't have to look at the, at the overhead, because, uh, the, the screen, because they know all the songs off by heart because they've been in church all their life. They faithfully give their money with the time of offering. Um, they've read the Bible through. They've memorized scripture verses. They know the theology. But listen to this. It has had absolutely no effect on the way that they live their life. Now, I'm going to say this to you. And, and, and you can take it however you want. But we as Christians so often are accused of being hypocrites. And I'll tell you why. It's because we are good at talking the talk. But when it comes right down to it, we're not good at walking the talk. So that's really what the seven habits are all about. It's learning how to live the life that God has called us to live so that we're not living as hypocrites We're not living as people who who are pretending. We're not living as people who are quick to declare we're believers, we're Christians. We're talking about a life that is in step with what Jesus has called us to live. So t- today um, we saw this wonderful sketch. We saw a person struggling. We saw one person trying to help them, but that we recognized that when, when the whole small group came together and they were able to lift that person up off the ground, they were able to escort her to the place where she would find the help that she needs. You saw the video clips. You heard the testimonials. Now those testimonials and that sketch were so good that you know I was thinking, man, you could you could all go home now. you You got the message. But I want to to underscore what you just saw with what the Bible tells us, what the Bible tells us clearly. Because here's what you and I need to understand. And I'm going to tell you, this is something that we, we have forgotten in this era, in this age of Christianity. Our faith, fundamental to our faith, is that we are called to live as a community of Christ followers. We're called to live together, and we're called to follow Christ together. I want you to think about this for a moment. If you've ever read the New Testament, guess this this is what you're going to discover. You're going to discover that the Apostle Paul writes letters to churches. The only time he writes to an individual is uh, is to, to teach them how best to lead the church. So you need to understand that in order to live this Christian life, it's going to have to happen in the context of community. And when we talk about community, we're talking, of course, about the, the, the community of believers. The word community, by the way, is, is simply a word that, uh, that we get from that Greek word koinonia, which means that we have everything in common. What is it that we have in common? Well, very simply, that we're followers of Jesus Christ. We put our faith in him, and we want to live a life that pleases him. So let's talk this morning about how to live this life together, this this life we call the Christian life. The very first thing that you need to understand is that as believers, as Christians, we live uh, as as people who understand the importance of small groups. We've got to be part of a small group. Look what it says here in Acts chapter 2. And you'll recognize that... There's something very peculiar about these, these people called Christians. It says they worshiped together regularly at the temple each day. They met in small groups and homes for communion, and they shared their meals with great joy and thankfulness. This is the early church. Now, I just want to just say this before we go any further. Because at the time that we, we read about the early church, you need to understand that this is something brand new. There's never been a church before this. There's never been anything quite like this. So there's no precedent. There's no way to really know what to do, what not to do, except by what happened then. And that was the leading of the Holy Spirit. And this is what they did. Every day they went to the temple, and then after that they met together in small groups. And when they got together in small groups, they encouraged each other, they prayed for each other, they discussed what was taught in the temple. Folks, that is how we have patterned our small groups, and this is how we've tried to pattern cross-church. You see, the very DNA of the early church has been passed down through literally hundreds of years where people come together to discuss and to share their faith and to encourage each other in their faith. Now, for the first time in, in literally... Uh, well, you could say almost millennia, because it's only really in the last maybe 100 or 150 years that people have actually been able to read. This is, I don't know if you'd realize this, but reading is a relatively new development for, for the masses. At one time, it was just the educated, the people that went to university, those who were particularly smart. They were the only ones that could read. So, what happened for the last, what, 1800 years or 1900 years? People came together. And they discussed what would be heard in the temple or in in church. And they would go back and discuss it and talk about how it applies to their personal life. Now, we've gotten so clever and so smart that we can just stay home and we can watch Charles Stanley on TV and and Joel Osteen and and anybody else who can afford to put their TV program up. And we, we buy the books at the bookstore. We go to Amazon. We buy all the Christian books that we think are going to be best to enhance our faith. We buy the CDs, we buy the DVDs, we listen to the radio, the radio programs, and we become su- quite self-sufficient and quite brilliant. In fact, we get this notion and this idea that really we don't need anybody else because we figured it out on our own. We have really, really suffered We've suffered because of this. It's hurt us. Because we've lost something fundamental, fundamental to the Christian life, and that is fellowshipping together and sharing with each other what it is that we believe. I'm going to tell you today, the true test of your Christianity is not how much you know about the Bible. That is not the true test of your faith. Never. Never, never believe that just because you've read through the Bible, because you've memorized scripture verses, and just because you, you know, you, you, you're faithful watching your TV programs, that is not a test of your Christian faith. It's not how much knowledge you have that matters as much as your Christian habits or your Christ habits. That's the test of your faith. You may know the scripture in Hebrew. You may know it in Greek. You may know it, uh, you may know it for, You may have memorized massive practices, but that, that is not the test of where you're at spiritually. The test of where you're at spiritually is this, are you practicing the habits? Jesus taught a sermon. We now call it the Sermon on the Mount. And if you look at that sermon, here's what you're going to discover. You're going to discover that it's not so much informational as it is transformational. It's not so much about, about imparting information to you so that you've got lots of information in your head, and it's, it's about how you live your life. Now Jesus recognized in the Pharisees and, and many Jewish people that you know, they, they knew all the laws. and in fact, if you go through the Old Testament, there are literally uh, thousands of laws that were prescribed to the Jewish people. And then over the centuries, we various rabbis have added and, and added and added to that. So we've got many, many layers of rules and don't do this and don't do that. And it seemed that the only people that could really live the life that God wanted them to live were the Pharisees. Because they had time to study it. They had the wealth to actually live out this life that was so laden with laws. And Jesus comes along and says, ah, you're all wrong. You're doing it wrong. In fact, he calls the Pharisees a brood of vipers, a brood of snakes. He says, you guys don't get it at all. It's not so much about what you know, folks. It's about how you live your life. That's what these seven habits are about. So Jesus comes along, and he gives a sermon on the mount, and he says, look it, don't talk to me about how well you know the laws. Show me by the way you live your life. And I want the Spirit of God to speak to your heart right now, and I want to ask you, how are you living your life? Our small groups are not about just adding information to your already jam-packed head. Our small groups are all about encouraging you to actually live out this Christian life that Jesus has set before you. The Apostle Paul had, a, had an issue with the Christians in Corinth, and they were, they were debating a very important issue, at least they believed it was important, and, to, and the question for them was this, should we or should we not eat food that's been sacrificed to idols? Because in those days, that was part of the, the pagan worship, they would sacrifice food to idols. And so some people said, no, you should never touch that food. It's evil. Don't touch it. And others said, look, if we're believers, it doesn't mean anything. We don't believe in that, so we'll eat whatever's put before us. And so they had this debate going on. And it was actually quite divisive. It's interesting, isn't it, how we start debating the scripture and debating truth. And next thing you know, we hate each other's guts and we form a new denomination, the denomination of Alan Duncaff and Company. And we believe in wearing green shirts. To church, because that's what pleases Jesus. We wear green for life and go. We don't wear red because that means stop. And we don't wear orange or yellow because that's, you're not sure, are you? We, We wear green. It's ridiculous, isn't it? And this is what was happening. And it's happened throughout the ages. We're going to debate whether you're right or I'm right. And so if you don't agree with me, I'm going to start my own denomination and away we go. I'm going to tell you folks, it's all rubbish. Because Jesus has called us to live this life of love. Now, I'm going to say, yes, there are times we do have to take a stand against things that are false, that are not true. But those are, the things, those are the things that actually go against the, the, the literal teaching of Jesus Christ. We're not going to split hairs. So, and here's, here's what the Apostle Paul then says to the Corinthians. He says, now regarding your question about food, food that has been offered to idols, and then he just drops it. Listen to this. He goes, yes, we know, quote, we all have knowledge about this issue. But while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. Folks, I want to say this to you right now. Our church has never been about just cramming more information into your head. You don't come to church on Sunday just to get more information. What what needs to happen when you come to church and when you go to your small group is that you need to be allowing the Holy Spirit to transform you, to change you, to do what? To make you into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ, because that's His will for you. I'm going to tell you the day that you stop allowing the Holy Spirit to change you and to make you like Jesus is the day when your Christianity merely becomes a religion. I heard somebody talk in this past week about about uh, you know Christians who 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 were on crusade and killed millions of Muslims and and Jews and on and so on and so forth. And about how the the Catholics are fighting the Protestants and in, in, in in Ireland, and, and, and we've seen fights all over the world. And then they'll say this they'll say, Religion, religion is the real problem in the world. Have you, has anybody ever heard that? Religion is a real problem in the world? Well, guess what? I agree. Religion is a big problem in the world today. That may come as a shock to you. Religion is a problem. Because it's void of any kind of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Those, however, who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, who are following in his steps, wouldn't dream of going on a crusade to kill Muslims and Jews. Right? Of course not. You couldn't call yourself a Christian if you're going around killing people. Could you see Jesus doing that? Could you see Jesus riding on the horse and say, let's get them, let's kill them? It's not going to happen. Could you see Jesus on the side of the Protestants saying, let's kill those dirty Catholics? Or could you see or hear Jesus on the side of the Catholics saying, let's kill those protesters, those Protestants, those rebels? It's not going to happen. Now, I'm not going to get into a debate today about about who's right, who's wrong. That's not my message today. My message is this, is what transformation is happening in your life? Because God wants us to walk with each other in love and in unity. He wants us to practice love. The great commandment, the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you're saying, yes, pastor, that's me. I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. But the next command, which is like the first command, is love your neighbor as yourself. Now that's where the rubber hits the road. And I would say this to you today, you cannot tell me that you love God if you hate your brother, your sister, your friend, your neighbor. It's not possible. One pastor said this, he said, the way that you actually prove that you love God is by loving other people. So how do we learn to love people? I'm glad you asked that question. We learn in the context of a small group. You learn how to care for one another. You learn how to not be self-centered. I would say this to you today. If you're on a quest to learn more about the Bible, good. But understand that information can be a trap. While knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. Information can be a trap. Why? Why? Because now it's all about you. I've watched for 30 years how people have pursued the latest and the greatest teachings. They're, they're, they write up with, you know, the, the latest TV preachers, they know them all, they've listened to all the sermons, they download the podcasts, and on and on it goes. But after five, 10, 15, 20 years, they're exactly the same. They haven't changed at all. They're still the same people. What's the problem? is they think that what matters is getting more information. What matters is being transformed, not informed. Now you say, well, Pastor, are you saying we should stop studying the Bible? No, no. You need to study the Word of God, because that's the basis of your transformation. The problem, again, is this, is that you are merely informed, you're not transformed. You need to be praying and saying, God, take this Word that I've read and show me what I need to do differently. Folks, that's what happens in the context of a small group. You get together, you discuss the word of God, you discuss what the spirit of God is saying through his word and through the message on Sunday morning, and you say, well, what changes need to take place in my life? What transformation can I put into effect immediately? And a wonderful thing about meeting with other people is that if you're truly blessed, they'll tell you the truth about yourself. They'll tell you how you need to grow. Now, I've seen people leave the church because they weren't prepared for that. They, they, you know, they, want, to be, they want to be in a small group, and yeah, they, I believe in a pastor, but don't tell me how I need to be transformed or changed. And if you read the New Testament, you'll discover that that is the whole point of the body of Christ is that we encourage each other, and the Bible says, and we rebuke each other when necessary. When's the last time you had a brother or sister in the Lord rebuke you? I've got people in my life who will do that for me, who will be quick and happy to share with me those things that need to be changed in me. And you just ask my wife, there's lots of room for improvement. But don't get uppity, because there's lots of room for improvement in you. And that, my friends, is why we need each other. We come together to encourage each other. We come together to connect. I'm gonna tell you this, my heart needs to connect with your heart, your heart needs to connect with mine. That's where we have that sense of fulfillment and that's what it means to be truly alive and truly human. It's a small group's a place where we hold each other accountable. How did it go? How did it go this past week? Did you live the life that you said you were gonna live? Did you make the changes you said you were gonna make in your life? In small groups is where we pray together. And we carry each other's burdens. This past week, I was able to be at someone in our, in our small group. Their father passed away, and it was such a, such a joy to me to be able to be there and uh, just say, hey, I'm there for you. I'm praying for you. And I know that person would do that for me in a heartbeat. And I sat there, and that really made me feel happy to know that I'm not going through this life alone. There's people around me that really love me and care about me. Small groups are all about transformation. It's taking the information and allowing the Holy Spirit to transform us. Well that's, that's half of it. Half of walking this life together. The other half of it is serving each other. When the early church started, I, I want you to know something. They, they, again, they knew nothing about what the church should look like or what they should do. No clue. There were no books to look at. There were no precedents. It's all brand new. What should we be doing? And I think that sometimes we have been in the church for years or gone to church for any length of time. We we forget that. We forget that there was a time when people didn't know anything. So the writer of Hebrews, addressing his audience in that book of Hebrews, He draws out very, very clear and very simple directions and directives for what you should be doing if you're a Christian, if you're a brand new Christian. And those of us who've been Christians for years, we sometimes forget that new people in the church, new believers, don't really know what to do. So if you're one of those people today, this is all kind of new to you, and you're wondering what it is that you're supposed to do as a follower of Christ, well, here's what the writer of Hebrews says. First of all, he says this. He says, let us, can we put that up, uh, Hebrews 10? Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. So there's the beginning. Very simply, he's saying, what we need to do is we need to develop habits where we we are guaranteed to hang on tightly to this new hope that we have in Christ, this new faith that we have. We've got to work hard at preserving our faith, so that we don't lose our new faith. How many know how easy it is to get off track spiritually? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Is a few people nodding. Yeah, it's really easy to get off track. It's very easy. It's very easy to grow cold towards God. I don't know if you realize that, but I think we, I think we all would understand that that's a very real possibility for all of us. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't let that happen. Don't allow yourself to grow cold. Don't allow yourself to waver. Stay firm. Stay committed. Persevere. And the way that's going to happen is by developing the habits necessary to stay on track. So he establishes that. Then, the, then he says, oh, here's the habit, the first habit you need to think of. Verse 24. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good work. Of course, we're speaking there of a life that's lived out the way Christ lived his life. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. It, but it's all about serving. That's what we're talking about. That's, that's how Christians live. We are servants. And then verse 25, it says this. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So we're living in a day and age now where people are actually... Um, are saying things like this. I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. It's not important for me to meet with believers. I can be a Christian in my own home. And I'm saying to you, no, you can't. You can actually give your heart to Jesus all by yourself in your bedroom, but if you're going to actually live this life that Jesus has called you to, you're going to have to do it in community. That's what the Bible says. Don't neglect our meeting together and actually, I like the way it says that in the NIV, as some are in the habit of doing. Look at that. It's a brand new, for some people, it's a habit not to go to church. You need the habit of going to church and not just going to church, but being in a small group. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Let's, let's go back and look at verse 24 for a moment. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good work. What do you think acts of love and good work are? I'll tell you what it is. Serving each other. John chapter 13, verses 1 to 17. Jesus is coming to the, the end of his time here on earth. He's getting ready to go to the cross. And, and he knows it. His disciples don't know it, but he knows it. He knows his time is now uh, coming to a close. It won't be long before he'll be whipped and scourged and hung on a cross. But before he does that, he teaches his disciples a very special lesson. He suddenly gets up from the table. Remember, he's the master. In, in Jewish culture, he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a rabbi. And everybody that follows a rabbi, respects a rabbi, does whatever the rabbi says. They don't question the rabbi. They treat him with, with awe, with respect, with dignity. Now, here's the rabbi. Gets up from the table, tucks his cloak in, gets a basin of water and a towel, and he kneels down and begins to wash the feet of his disciples. Now, let me just give you some context here because for some of you that doesn't is a big deal. In in Jesus time, at this time, the one who did the washing of feet was a servant. The person or a slave. It was the person who would be considered the very lowest of the low in the family or in the household. That was the one that washed people's feet. And you can imagine in Jesus day people didn't didn't have the kind of shoes and socks and outfits that we have. Uh, they're walking barefoot hot, sweaty, and, I mean, you can imagine the condition the state of their feet. And Jesus takes up a basin of water and begins to wash their feet. And it wouldn't have been an easy affair. I mean, he's washing the feet of 12 men with dusty, dirty feet. I mean, he's going to get water. He's dumping the water out. He's filling the basin again. He's on his knees. He's washing their feet. And the Bible says that Peter protested He says, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. And Simon Peter exclaimed, well, then wash my hands, my head as well, and Lord, not just my feet. And Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. And that is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. Now I want you to see something here. Because I know human nature, because I'm a human, believe it or not. I know that it's really easy to serve people that I love. It's really easy to serve people who are kind and nice to me. It's it's easy to serve people who are loyal to me people who are patient with me, people who are generous to me. I love to serve people like that. But here's when it gets difficult. Because there's always people in your life who are not so easy to love. There are always people in your life who are difficult. There are always people in your life who will criticize you and judge you and put you down and make fun of you. There are people in your life who will be disloyal, And even betray you. Now look at this. This is where your Christianity is tested. Because Jesus washed the feet, even, of Judas. And that name Judas has become synonymous with treachery and evil and wickedness. But even Judas had his feet washed by the master. And then Jesus says this. He says, now do what I did, and you'll be happy. Do what I did, and you'll be blessed. Don't hold back. Those people you think don't deserve your kindness and your love, love them. Be kind to them. Don't hate them. Serve them. And the Bible says not only do we serve all the people in our life, but we especially serve the body of Christ. We serve each other. Now I want to. I just want to remind you of something right now. When the Apostle Paul was getting people to to, to really consider their faith and to consider where they're at spiritually, he decides I'm going to I'm going to issue an exam. The first exam in the Bible. He's going to ask a test, if you will. Now, I want you to recognize something. The test that he issues is not about how much information people know. That's not the real test of a Christian. How much information you know is you know, between you and God. And you know, I hope that you know a lot. But that's not the most important thing. Paul writes a letter to the people who live in Galatia, the Galatians. And these people, man, they know, the, they know the law of God better than anybody. But interestingly, Paul doesn't say, oh, show me how spiritual you are and how much you know by, by how many answers you can get right. Who was the first man that ever lived? And who was the first one that built a boat? And who are the, the, fir- the patriarchs? And n- none of that. That's not on the test. was the first high priest? That's not on the test. You know what's on the test? Do you love each other? Are you joyful? Do you have peace? Are you kind to people? Are you good? Do you do good works? Are you faithful? Are you gentle? Do you have self-control? Those are the tests that you are where you need to be spiritually. We're talking about transformation. A authentic Christianity that actually is under the power and the direction of the Holy Spirit. Jesus gets on his knees. He washes their feet and he says, Now, do this and you'll be happy. Do this, and you can call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to say this to you in closing. All these habits that we're talking about, all of these are disciplines that Jesus taught. It doesn't come out of our imagination. We didn't we're not not that clever around here. But Jesus shows us how to follow or how we should follow him and what we should do to to please God. And if you and I are going to live this life where we walk with one another in true love, then you and I are going to have to start practicing these habits of loving each other in the context of small groups and serving each other. This is what it means to be a follower of Christ. Now, as your pastor, my job is to teach you how to follow Jesus, is to make disciples. My job as your pastor is to help you make it safely home. I can't twist your arm. I can't force you to do anything. I can't can't do that. All I can do is love you and try to show you the way. But you have to make a decision. You've got to say, yeah, this is what I want to do. This is the life I want to live. I want to adapt these habits because I want to be a serious Christ follower. So the question today is this, will you do it? I can provide opportunity, but if you don't take that step, there's nothing I can do. At the back of the church, after the service, there's a place for you to sign up for small groups. I can help it, I can help facilitate it, but you're the one that's going to have to sign up. At the back is a place for you to sign up to serve. There's all sorts of things that need to be done around here, and we need people who will say, yeah, I'm willing to do it. I can't force you to it, but I can help facilitate it. I can help you live a life that God wants you to live. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, please. Let's pray. Father, we want to live a life that pleases you. And we know that the only way that's possible is by putting our faith in Jesus Christ and following him. And so, Father, we pray right now that you give us the grace and the wisdom and the strength to take that step of faith and say, I'm going to sign up to be in a small group. I'm going to sign up to serve. And the wonderful thing is that we have got something for everybody to do here, regardless of their age, regardless of their strength, regardless of the talents that they think they may or may not have. There's something for everybody to do because God has called us to serve. So, Father, we pray right now that you would give us the courage, the faith, and enable us to be obedient in doing what you've called us to do. So we commit ourselves to right now thanking you, Lord, that there's a promise of joy and happiness for all who will do what you say. Jesus said, follow my example, and you will be blessed. God, we want that blessing in our lives. We want that joy. We want that happiness. And we know it comes when we do your will. So, Father, as we devote ourselves to walking in love with one another, we pray, God, that our hearts will be filled with that peace that comes from heaven and that joy that only you can give. And we pray that for Christ's sake. And everyone said it.